The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of Hope. Messages of Hope. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome back. I'm just sitting here laughing because everything that I do to become a better medium rests on being centered and being present and finding ways to drop into that place of peace in an instant. And if anything gives me a chance to practice that, it's this weekly radio show while we're traveling on the road. Only 10 minutes ago, we pulled into this campground after all day of traveling (laughs) We just plugged in the bus and Ty's setting things up as I'm running around hooking up my computer just so I can share my beautiful guests with you today. So I had to practice a few deep breaths and here we are. So if I can model that for any of you, it's it's a, my gift to you to let you know that it, that it is possible to go from crazy hectic to just, ah, uh, here we are. And here we are today with a very unusual guest for my show. It's not that she's unusual. It's that the topic is a little different than I normally discuss. And it's because we're discussing two books that she has written. Her name is Eldana Edwards. And if you haven't read anything she's written, I sure hope this show convinces you to do that. It's not an ad for her books, but I just wanted to talk to her, to share her with all of you. And you'll find out why as we go through two very, very different books. And yet both of them all speak to our oneness, our unity, loving, compassion, kindness, everything that Messages of Hope is all about. So, Eldana, before we just read your bio, which I really don't like to do, why don't we just bring you on? Welcome to the show. Hi, Suzanne. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. It's, I've been looking forward to this very much. That's great. I saw that you noticed that uh, Lynette, my assistant, put the post about you being on here on my Facebook page yesterday, and and you were on there because I just saw you commented. But uh, we're going to dive into one of your books, and it's really great because um, somebody that commented said, I I downloaded a sample just because you you mentioned it, and I was hooked from the first page, and that would have been me, too. (laughs) I never get tired of hearing that. (laughs) Yeah. I know. So 
Let's see. I'm just going to, I have questions in front of me, but I'm going to ask my guys to tell me where we begin. All right. I'll tell everybody that the two books we're going to be talking about today, the first one is a novel called This I Know. And this after the break, or however it flows, we're going to talk about your book Lost in Transplantation, which is not a novel, which is a true story of how you donated a kidney to a complete stranger because you felt called to do so. So let's just start with you as a writer. Have you always known that you, well, how long have you known you wanted to be a writer? Oh, you know, I think I've known since I was a child. I remember I wrote this poem for my mother when I was about 10 years old. It was I thought it was so avant-garde because it didn't rhyme. And, <laughs> and I realized, you know, um, it wasn't the writing so much. It was the response to the writing that really got me. And I was like, wow, you can actually move people with your words. And I've always loved to write. So I think I think it just it was something that was inherent in me. My mom was very good writer as well. So, um, yeah, I think it's just it's in my bones. Yeah, it was your calling. You probably couldn't not do it. Well, this I know is I, I want to tell you, I, I haven't shared this with you that I found your book in an airport bookstore. That means you've arrived when your book is in an airport bookstore. You you've written a good book. And did you know that? That that's a, a, I a did. Um, my <laughs> publisher did let me know, and I have to share with you. There was uh, when I was sometimes when I'm traveling, you know, if I'm in the airport. If I happen to see somebody that had my book, I would just get so excited and run over and and offer to sign it for them. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I rarely, rarely take the time to read novels. I'm usually reading spiritual books, anything that can help me improve my mediumship and become a better teacher. And so I bought the book and for some reason didn't read it on the flight. And it, it must have, I must have gotten it at a busy time because I forgot I had it. And the reason I know I got it in an airport bookstore is I was looking for something to read one night, not too long ago. And I found this on the shelf and I said, what is that? What is that book? I pulled it out. I looked at it and I started reading it and like the person on Facebook, absolutely hooked. In fact, astonished by the subject matter, which we'll get into in a minute. And it was only when I found the, the receipt from the airport bookstore inside the book and I put two and two together. So uh, the timing is divine. But let's talk about this I know. Why don't you summarize the topic for everybody who's listening? This I know is it, it features um, a preacher's daughter. Uh, in the Midwest in the 1960s and it's really she's clairvoyant and it's her journey to um, understand herself her father uh, I would say frowns on but even even more than that he he really turns away from her gift he thinks it's evil uh, so uh, and she's very much shunned by her community so it's it's a novel about um, coming to Know and know your gifts and embrace them and learn to love yourself. Yeah, and and you do it in such a beautiful way. There are writers and there are writers. The way you put words together and spin the tale and keep the suspense, but the emotional impact is you've got all of those pieces together, even and more. I'm not a writing teacher, but I could. We could probably list them all. So I want everybody to understand, and we'll, we'll then dive into that some more. 
Are you a preacher's daughter? I am. Um, and you know, are you from the Midwest? <laughs> I am. I'm a preacher's kid who grew up in Michigan <laughs> in an evangelical church setting, literally lived across the street from the church. It was like our second home. Um, however, the characters are mostly a collage of people, I remember, uh, combined with a very fertile imagination. Pastor Carter in This I Know is kind of a jerk, and my dad, on the other hand, was strict, but he was extremely kind and compassionate, but he would not have made a very interesting character. So. <laughs> That's what I find so beautiful about this, that that you have you share a similar background, yet it's not autobiographical. But the, the the part that really, really grabbed me was the clairvoyant protagonist, Claire, this little girl. Are you at all clairvoyant? Um, not really, no. I, I can't read other people's thoughts, but I can read their emotions. I consider myself highly intuitive, uh, likely an empath. Um, I feel things very deeply, and I'm hyper aware of the emotions of the people around me. Yeah, and I'll bet you 90% of the people listening to this show are the same way. And the reason I asked, and I, I didn't want to talk to you before the show, I haven't, we haven't connected, Lynette set this up, is because I didn't want to know in advance the answer to that question. Because what I wanted to share with you is, as I read this book, I just kept thinking, this is truth. This is the way it is. Grace is the protagonist, and her view of the world is what I experience as a medium. Have you had other people who are psychic or mediumistic talk to you about that? I've heard from so many people who've read the book, who who connected with me on social media or through email or through my website, who have said, I so related to the book, this grace, I'm grace. And mm. they've asked me if I'm grace as well, you know. So um, I think it really touches people who have that who kind of like live outside the lines is, is the way I like to put it. <laughs> and, yeah. And it's, experience yeah, life outside the lines, I guess. Yeah. And, and that's what's so cool about it is because you've captured what it's like to live outside the lines so clearly. And yet you don't make it seem like an aberration. It's beautiful. So you call Claire's gift the knowing. Where did that term come from? Well, when I grew up in the church, there was this song, um, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. Most people have heard that song if mm -hmm. they were anywhere near a church. And so it's kind of an, a double entendre that, that it's, uh, it's the song, This I Know. She knows that she's loved, but also she knows things. She knows things that apparently, or she's been told she shouldn't know. And the way you start the book is just magical. Do you mind giving that away a little bit with her brother? Oh, not at all. The and in fact, that's what spurred me to finish writing this novel. I wrote the 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 prologue for a writers contest and I won. Oh, how <laughs> and, cool. And it takes place in the womb. And yeah. and it's it's Grace and her brother Isaac communicating their last thoughts to each other before they're born. And she's very frightened, and he just keeps reassuring her, I'm right behind you. I'm right behind you. And 
he doesn't survive that birth. Um, that's not a spoiler because it's the prologue of the book. Yeah. But she t- continues to feel very, very connected with him, and she can, she communicates with him throughout her life. And mostly from the closet in her childhood home. <laughs> well, it's much to the chagrin of her, her, her father, who forbids her to communicate with Isaac. So she does. She hides in the closet to, yeah. to talk to him. Yes. That 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 magical prologue where you you don't exactly at, at first realize what's happening and then this dawning comes on you oh my god these are these are babies in the womb <laughs> it's just so beautiful so it's beautiful her conversation with Isaac but you also capture how how sad she is that he's not with her there because she remembers him so clearly she's devastated and it wasn't until she's about three years old and she sees a photograph of her mother pregnant and touches that photograph and just remembers it all starts coming back to her this these voices that she hears she realizes that they're not outside of herself they're in her they're isaac yeah and this is why i love this book because that that is the way we are connected with everyone. We have a lot of people listen to this show and they're grieving someone who's died. And the connection that we can feel with someone who's passed is exactly like the connection that she has. She goes in the closet to hide it. But uh, her conversations are very real to her and very helpful. So how, tell me the well, I want to know the process of how you wrote the book, but also you say you won a contest for that prologue. Was that all you had written to that point? Just the prologue? No, I had written, I had been working on the novel for some time and I decided to submit the prologue um, just to see, because writing from the womb is, I was afraid it would scare people off. And I thought, I'm, I'm just going to, I had beta readers basically were the judges of this um, writer's conference. And, um, I was told later that some of them thought until they got to the end that they were aliens, you know, that this was a book about aliens until they got, got to the end. Yeah. So, um, no, I had quite a bit of it written, but that's what really, uh, spurred me to complete it. That along with the other book you mentioned, loss and transplantation feedback I got on that kind of gave me the confidence to finish the novel. Okay. And so then what process were you using as you wrote it? Was it, did, did you think it through? Did it just come to you? Was it, it you feel just excited? flowed out of me like melted butter. I, okay. I was, it was such a gift, this book. It was, um, some of the scenes, like when I was writing the conversations between Grace and Isaac, I, Almost, you could almost say I kind of went into a writing trance when they were uh-huh. communicated. I imagined what their conversations might be, and it and it just flowed. And it, and it was similar when Grace crosses over to communicate her with her mama when her mama's in a coma. Um, it's it's a very dreamlike creative experience. And sometimes I'd go back and read what I'd written, and I'd have very little recollection of writing it. Huh. Yes, definitely. You were in the flow and tapping in. Oh, beautiful. You know what I really love about this book is, well, everything. <laughs> the Thank conversations you. with her sisters, they're so fully fleshed out, those characters. They are real. And the way you're talking about Grace now, I can tell 
to you, she's like a real person. Well, we're every age we've ever been, right? So hmm. all it all it took was just kind of going back and tapping into my inner eight year old, nine year old, eleven year old, twelve year old, fifteen year old. I mean, because that's about you know it goes into her her late teens basically, or oh. mid teens. Um, but you can remember that, and I also had a lot. I, I came from a large family. There were there were seven children, hmm. um, so. I know about the the whole the sibling stuff that goes on in a family <laughs> very very well. <laughs> oh, and she has some sisters that push her buttons, and she just handles it. it it's just beautiful. It's she's not the perfect character either, and, and so bravo to you for that. Have you personally ever experienced unexplained events, such as come up in the book? Um, I've had some really interesting experiences yes I went to when my my middle daughter when we went to a psychic fair one time and we were just visiting all these booths and um I I stopped at this booth and this woman was doing something to do with spirit animals and she told me that my spirit animal was a white crane and I you know I really didn't think that much of it other than I was like oh that's kind of cool I love white cranes you know I love herons especially the white herons and a few years later I was a uh, body work I was doing massage and I uh, with a, with a woman who was in a nursing home the, the daughter had hired me to come in and work with her and one night I went into her room and she's sitting on the edge of her bed and she's holding her cupped hands out in front of her and trying to hand me something very invisible and so I take it from her because I didn't want to be rude and I said what's this and she said bird seed and I said bird seed and she said yeah for that big white bird over your head oh my gosh <laughs> and she passed that night so that was like gave me the shivers when I found yeah. out the next day that well, was you just gave them to me <laughs> that was one of them. And then another time when I was in, I, I think body work, you know, kind of puts you in, a, in this ethereal place as well. And I was in massage school and we used to practice on each other. And I was on the receiver, I was receiving on the table and the other uh, therapist was working with me and I turned my head, I was on my back and I saw this girl, this young girl crying, weeping on another table, like on the other side of the room. And I called the instructor over and I said, why is there a child in this room? Huh. And she said, that's not a child. That's Bobby Joe, one of our other uh, people in the room who was in her 40s. And hmm. then I later learned that she was having this emotional release and, and remembering being abused by her father when she was 12. And so, you know, those are the kind of things you, you just get the shivers and go, uh, there's so much more. There's so much more that we don't understand and we don't know. That's exactly right. Yeah. And this is, it's so much fun to pull the threads and try to find <laughs> out more, to open that portal a little wider to the, to access consciousness beyond this physical reality. And your book is, is so, so beautifully sh shows how at least Grace does that. I, one of my favorite scenes is when her sister puts her up to using her psychic abilities to earn money. Would you tell everybody about that? Oh, joy. One of her sisters, her name is Joy. They all have daddy names, all the girls. And, and there's joy and chastity and grace and hope. And none of them, 
fit their names. And Joy is not very joyful. And she's always looking to, to milk a, a dime out of somebody. So she comes up with, although she's, she makes fun of Grace um, and shuns her for her abilities, she also knows when she sees a good investment. So she and Chassie go down and drag a refrigerator box into the yard, paint it all up like a fortune teller's booth, and convince Grace to sit in there and give fortune. She's charging the neighborhood a quarter apiece. <laughs> you know, to to get their fortunes told, and 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 Grace really doesn't want to do it because she doesn't. She knows that the gift is not to be used for profit, but Joy convinces her that she's going to help people, and so that's that's why she she does it. And I, you know, I just loved conjuring the questions we have as children wondering about our future and doubting ourselves and hoping we turn out all right. But it it was so fun. It was so fun to write that scene. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Did did you have a favorite one in the book to write? My, I loved writing that one, so the, that's one I pick out as well. But um, the other one would be the baptism scene. Actually, both of them. There are two baptism scenes, and I think maybe because I'm a Pisces, I'm connected with water, um, and also just memories of baptisms at the, the lake when I was uh, a young person. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one I think is because this whole congregation comes together to rescue what's a really unfortunate situation for one of the women being baptized and they just suddenly morph morph into these playful children and there was so much joy true Hmm. like rapture in that scene that everybody was you know playing in the water and of course daddy's (laughs) Daddy's not having anywhere, but he he marches off, you know, trying to uh, hang on to his pride. But um, that was one of my favorite ones to read. And then I don't want to spoil it for those who haven't read the book, but um, there's another baptism scene. And I wept deeply while writing it. And I and I still cry when I read it now. That's a good sign. It's a very moving scene moving scene and I think it was one of my favorite to write yeah I, I don't want to give away too much either but I, I just was rereading big pieces of it last night and re-enjoying it and the scene where she 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 goes to the sheriff and they have a son who's gone missing in Vietnam and <laughs> he tells them about their son and you and it's like it's like my work when you you give people evidence that they can't deny suddenly they have to change their belief system and she's telling them things that she could that she couldn't possibly know yet she's giving them hope it's just beautiful and you have a murder mystery kind of woven through here as well yes um there is a predator in the community and um preying on girls and eventually a girl is murdered and um Grace figures it out. She she doesn't figure it out. She just comes into the knowledge through her gift. Yeah. And and uh, people don't want to believe her. And that's the thing about when we align with our true nature consciousness, we have the knowing. All of us have the knowing. This is what's so beautiful about your book. That book came to you through that same tapping into consciousness. We can call it different things, but I believe that this is why it strikes a chord with people. It's a magical story, and yet there's something deep within us, I believe, that knows this is not just fiction. This is the way life really can be. How do you feel about that? 
I definitely believe in the creative consciousness. I do think um, tapping into that unknown is a way of knowing what it's like a longing for home is the way Mm -hmm. I describe it when I'm writing. It's like, I'm always trying to find home and there's, there's this home away from home in, in the unknown, in this awe and wonder of, of what we, what feels familiar and feels like, like home. That's beautifully put. That's the best way I can describe it for me. Yeah. I feel that's what everybody's looking for. And, and you tap into it in this book we're talking to Aldana Edwards and her book, this first one in this first half of the hour is the novel, This I Know. I dog-eared a page here, surprise, surprise. <laughs> and I want to read this a little, little quote from the end where Grace says, I think that the knowing, and you capitalize that when you say knowing, I think that the knowing uses me, not the other way around. I think I'm just supposed to stay open and let the knowing be a way to show other people how to listen for the truth rather than hide from it. Now, see, this may be a novel, but that's spiritual truth right there, Eldana. Mm, thank you. Thank you for reading that. I, it's, you know, you, you get away from the things that you've written, and then when you hear somebody else read it, um, yeah, absolutely, that is so yeah. true for most of us. Beautiful. So Grace is very resilient. She's shunned by her family, but she just keeps coming back. She just keeps knowing things. What do you attribute her resilience to? Well, I, I think we all want to belong. We want to be loved. We want to be accepted. And if we're lucky, understood. And grace exists like just out of the collective um, social cultural lines that are drawn by our communities. And she, she knows she's different. But she believes very strongly that her purpose in this world is worth fighting for. And and she does. Um, fortunately, she has the support of a few other oddball characters, maybe you could call them, who might also be considered a bit outside the lines. Her Aunt Pearl, who's just a delight. Her friend Lola. And her buddy Lyle, who's um, uh, homeless. Um, they provide this undercurrent of strength through their support but it but it's grace herself who refuses to let go of the hope that you know one day she'll be loved and accepted and of course ultimately she learns that the goal was not to seek that approval outside of herself but from within wow see and i love that this just flowed to you you didn't have to say how am i going to work all of those spiritual truths (laughs) into these characters you did it so beautifully so we're Talking with Eldana Edwards, we're already through the first half of the show. We're going to come back and talk just a little bit more about this book and then about a totally different topic that's just equally awesome. So don't everybody go away. Come on back right after the break. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, 
a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield, May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Hey, everybody. We're just having a wonderful chat with Eldana Edwards. Eldana, such an unusual name, and yet reading the acknowledgments, your mother had an unusual name. She did. Her name was Valois. Valois. Where do those names come from? Um, I'm not sure where her name come, came from. Um, she once told me that she went to school with an Eldana, and she always liked the name, but I kind of call BS on that. I think I was her fifth daughter and she just ran out of girl names. So she threw an EL in front of that. <laughs> Very good. Well, again, I love the names that you gave to all the characters in, in your books. If Grace were a real person, Grace being the protagonist, the one with the knowing in the novel, This I Know, what message would she have for all of us? Um, It's a pretty simple message that you should never stop believing in yourself and embracing your gifts, you know, to listen, the quote that you read earlier, to listen and to be open to the truth and your truth. Ah, very good. Oh, beautiful. So it's one of those novels where you just hate for it to end because you've become friends with everybody and everybody is not everybody. Well, there is one person in there that's a total villain, but <laughs> yes. we won't go. Yeah. Oh, ooh, that's, you have some scenes of the couple in there that are really painful, but yet that's that's our reality in human form. So the book really does a beautiful job of bridging human and, and our our aspects as expressions of consciousness of love. Speaking then of expressing love, let's change now to your second book which is not fiction it's called lost in transplantation a great title why don't you tell everybody why it's called that well it's obviously a play on the um lost in transplantation but i i started out on this uh this journey to donate a kidney and what I thought would be really, really simple um, ended up taking four years. <laughs> so I felt a little lost along the way while, we, you know, life just happened and had to let it unfold and couldn't force things. So I, I met a gal. I was taking some classes, um, enrichment classes. I met this gal and found out she had kidney disease. And um, I offered to donate a kidney to her and she turned me down. She's very Darwinian in nature and she just was okay with what was going on. And at the time you weren't actually allowed to donate to a stranger um, for a whole lot of reasons. Um, That's now changed. But I, I decided in this critical thinking class I was taking to write a paper arguing against that. And while I was, um, in that doing the research, I came across this website of profiles of, um, 
kidney patients begging for donors. And I'll tell you what, once you see that, you cannot unsee it. And I knew that I couldn't change the world, but I could change one person's world. And so I just made the decision to become a donor. You did. And it's it's interesting how you documented in there people's reaction to that. So tell us about how your immediate family reacted and then other people when you made it public. Um, I didn't make it public at first. My family, they were um, they were supportive. I know they were worried. They were concerned. They they loved me and they wanted to know that I would be okay. So I had to give them a lot of assurances that you can't donate unless you're super healthy. You have to go through so much testing to make sure that you're healthy enough to be a donor. Kidney donors are some of the most healthy people on the planet. Mm. Um, and I didn't really tell the public for a long time. And in fact, I probably not until right when I went into the hospital to donate, I think I put it on Facebook and, um, and then now you can't shut me up about it because I, I kind of did this 180 turn because I realized that I was missing out on this opportunity to educate and hopefully inspire other people. So now I, I, well, before this past year, (laughs) I Mm. Would travel and, and and speak to groups and things um, about um, kidney donation, living donation, and even you know donating after you're no longer on this planet. Mm-hmm. And let's see, there's a documentary about this whole story. How can people find that? Um, only the it's only available. At, it showed on PBS, but now it's only available on DVD through uh, the filmmaker. Mm. And that's um, her website is perfect strangers with an S perfect strangers dot com. Okay. And she has DVDs for personal use or for shared use. If somebody wants to host a, a showing a screening. In all honesty, I watched the trailer and it was beautiful, but you did such a great job of detailing the whole story in your book of and using the same skill that you use in your novel that I, I felt like I knew everybody already. I didn't need to see it in a movie. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of fun. People who have read the book and then see the movie for them, it's it's getting to see. Oh, I remember that person or that person. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. so you originally chose. You thought you knew who the donor was going to be. Why didn't that work out? I I chose um, a woman who uh, whose profile I read on that website and. Um, she was a hospice nurse and she lived in Northern California and I felt like we had a lot in common. I thought, um, she was a new grandmother and and so we were not too far apart in age at the time I was, um, I think I was 48 when I, when I contacted her, reached out to her. Um, and we actually, uh, are still in contact. We became very, very close, um, through the process and her husband, Jim as well. And I learned so much about what it's like to be on dialysis and to be waiting for a kidney. Hmm. And how did that affect your resolve? Um, I was more resolved for sure. Cause once you make that connection, um, it's one thing to just say, just, you know, I'm going to donate and, and just give my kidney to the best match. But this, I, I was invested and that's why I hung in there for three years until she was extremely hard to match because of all the antibodies she had in her system. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I, when I got to the age where I turned um, 50 
and I, I thought, you know, I need to do this while I'm young and healthy um, and have the best hope for a good recovery. And the, um, the hospital, the, the transplant coordinator reached out to me and she said, look, there's this new um, algorithm uh, through kidney registry. And if you donate to the best match for your kidney, we will move Kathy to the top of the list for a deceased donor kidney that matches with her because she's so, so hard to match. That is really neat. It's like a, a, a trade, a trade there that even though you couldn't help her directly, you help somebody else and then she gets help. Right. I, I, I still feel like I gave a kidney to Kathy. <laughs> no wonder. Yeah. Because she got a kidney. I mean, it took a little while, but she, I was the first person she called. She called me. It was like seven o'clock in the morning crying. <laughs> I'm, I'm on my way to the hospital. They have a kidney for me. And of course, you know, I lost it completely. So, um, yeah, wow. she's, she's still doing well. So does it really save lives or is it, or just get them off dialysis? Dialysis is not life. It's existence. It's awful. It's awful. You feel so crappy after your dialysis treatment and during the treatment. You don't have a lot of energy. You're tired all the time. You're cold. You get headaches. Um, it's, it's basically just keeping you alive. Mm. So, um, Yes, it, you can go on dialysis for quite a long time, depending on your health and, and, and age and other factors. Um, so by donating a kidney, you're definitely giving people extra years, but you're also giving them a quality of life that that they can actually go out and, and enjoy their life. Okay. Now, here's a question you may or may not know the answer to, but I have read quite a few anecdotes about people who received a kidney from someone else and then started having like unusual cravings for food they never wanted or started to want to go do different activities that they were never interested in before because that organ is was a part of somebody else have you heard stories like that i have i actually um moderate a support group on Facebook for kidney, living kidney donors. And, and we've got thousands of people on that list. So I've, I've heard so many stories from people, my recipient, um, my eventual recipient, they told me that they shared with me that they never liked chocolate and now they do. And I'm a chocolate fiend. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that was one thing I didn't know. So that's pretty cool. Never liked it before and now do. Isn't that interesting? But it makes so much sense because that 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 organ carries your energy. It did for over 50 years, you said, and now it's in somebody else. So there's going to be some alignment taking place there. But what's what's really funny and we, we don't talk politics on this show, but I was talking for all of you listening with Eldana earlier that I, I want to read a part of the book to all of you. Because the lesson from this is just so huge. I even shared it in my monthly mentoring webinar last month. So you befriended, Kathy is the woman you originally befriended. Did you yes. wanted to right, give the kidney to? And you two were a good match. You, you were ideologically matched. You loved each other. You know, really could identify with her. And so what was your thinking about donating your kidney to a complete stranger? <laughs> um. I felt really good about it when I made the decision, and um, I they they don't really put you know any parameters on who your kidney goes to. 
Um, I learned, here's what I learned that, um, do you want to read the quote first? I'll, I'll, read I'll respond? It. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, well, I remember that you said, you know, you know, um, what, happen, what happens if we're not of like mind, you know, and what if we don't think alike? And so what happened is you, he, he actually reached out to you afterwards, right? Yes. He found me on Facebook. I have an unusual name. So I'm, and I had sent an adoption letter with my kidney because I wanted him to know that it came from a good home. So oh, no. it just had my first name and I'm pretty, you know, there's not many Aldanas out there. So it was yeah. not that hard to find me. So if he was interested, he could, and he found you and you looked him up on Facebook and I just, it just cracked me up that you were at first <laughs> mortified to find that you and the donor were at far opposite ends of the political spectrum. So here's the quote that I wanted to read to everybody because this is what, this is what unites us here. She said that the recipient and I couldn't be more politically diverse. I, I could almost see the gods rolling on their backs, their feet kicking in the air, gasping for breath between howls of laughter. <laughs> At first, I admit it, I was a little stunned. But after seeing pictures of his wife and family, reading comments from friends, cheering him on and wishing him well, many offering blessings to me, his unknown donor, the initial feelings of disappointment simply dissipated. And here's the point that really gets me. What became clear was that just like me, he has a family and friends who love him. Our differences in politics or values don't need to separate us. In fact, this diversity is exactly what unites us as unique individuals. We're each of us just people trying to survive and do our best in this life. Wow. There you go. There you go. You know, yeah. I just, I learned that we all deserve health and happiness, not, not just those who agree with us. And although I admit I secretly hoped my kidney would carry a, a little tree-hugging, free-spirited essence with it <laughs> and plant some of that in the recipient, um, I was able to fully let go because, you know, I, I used to wonder how I'd feel if he didn't, if he passed. Um, mm. he's, he's still alive and doing very well. Um, and that a part of me would die with him, but I, I don't feel that way anymore because I no longer consider it my kidney. It's, mm. it's, his, it's, it's his kidney. You give with a warm hand. It's, it's a gift. No, attached. Yeah. That's beautiful. And so after your surgery, you got a tattoo. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I it, never. To me, what your tattoo is sums up this whole discussion. The tattoo is on my foot, and it just reads, "Love is everything," and that's pretty much my philosophy in life. It all always comes back to love. I have since gotten two more tattoos, <laughs> oh. and they're both words. One says "grateful," it's on my um my inner arm, and the other one says "head up, wings out." Oh, neat. So, but love is everything is, is how I, it's pretty much been my life philosophy. Beautiful. So, you know, you, that perspective only comes when we step back and see beyond the differences. And it reminded me so much of what my, my team here, Bev and Lynette and I, we, we say sometimes that we just have to step back and 
pretend we're our soul selves, which we are at all times, all of us, every, every one of you listening right now is both human and a soul. And you can always step back and imagine your soul sitting there like Eldana's soul and her recipient's soul eating popcorn, watching this drama. And you just turn and you look at each other and say, I wonder how they're going to work this one out. Oh, this is going to be good. So when I saw you, when, when I read how you wrote, you know, it could just see the gods rolling on their backs, feet kicking in the air, gasping for breath between howls of laughter. It's the same thing. It's, it's that perspective that we're not stuck in these roles. Beautiful. Yeah, our ego thinks we know so much. <laughs> you know, I set out thinking, oh, I'm going to just, I'm going to change somebody's life. And I did. I, it, but it turned out to be my own. This, this experience changed me so much. In so many ways, it altered my path. I met so many people. I learned so much about the experience of dialysis patients. I connected with thousands and thousands of donors and potential donors. And it gave me a much, um, a feeling of, 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 of deeper meaning and purpose in my life that, that it just, it changed. It's like people who have those near-death experiences, which I've also had, and you, you just all of a sudden you just you just realize, wow, <laughs> I you know the things that we think might be um, life-altering in certain ways, um, they they are life-altering, but in ways you do not expect. So beautifully said. I'm so glad you're a writer and can put this into words that just capture all of us. Uh, you, I was, I always tune into my guides while we're doing the program, and they were saying, "Don't say anything. Keep listening. Keep listening." And I'm listening, not coming up with another question. And you just said a near-death experience, which I've had, and I said, "No wonder I'm supposed to keep listening." <laughs> I had no idea. We we love we being everybody listening to this program and. I love hearing about NDEs. Do you mind sharing yours with us? Not at all. I was on the Colorado River on a, um, a rafting trip with my son, who was, I think, 12 at the time. And uh, we went on this uh, ride about. We called it our ride about. And we just decided to travel through Utah and go to the north rim of the Grand Canyon. And, and he wanted to go on a river rafting trip. Neither of us are good swimmers. Um, but, you know, it's a big raft, and they've got guides and all of that good stuff. Well, it turns out they booked too many people. And Jacob, my son, volunteered us <laughs> for the little ducky raft, which is just a two-person inflatable raft to go behind the big raft. And when we hit the rapids, you know, they had told me ahead of time um, – don't come too close because you will go under that big raft and get stuck oh. under there. So I kept my distance, but apparently I kept too much of a distance because out of fear. So they're waving me, come closer, come closer. So I start um, paddling to beat the band. And, and um, all of a sudden, as we go over the rapids, I see the back end of that big raft go up and I know we're going to go under it. And so I, I just stabbed my or into the water and turned us sideways, then flipped us over. I didn't mean to flip us over, but that's what mm -hmm. happened. Mm -hmm. And I got stuck under the small raft. I could not find my way out. I could not get out. I had on a life jacket, but I'm under there and I'm in the in in the rapids. It's not like a, like a huge rapids, but enough that the water was coming over my head and over my face, and I was taking in water. And I fought and I fought and I fought. 
and all of a sudden I, I just had this sense of peace. I was just like, oh, I've had a really good life. This is, this is, wow, this is really peaceful. And I like, didn't think of anything mm-hmm. else. It was just like such a peaceful feeling as I took in that water going, okay, this huh. is, wow, this is beautiful. And I, and I don't know what I think it, there was just like this little nudge that said punch one more time. Mm. And I looked up and I saw the, the, the sunlight coming through the bottom of the inflatable wrap and I, and I punched and I punched it off and they were able to pull me into the big raft at some point. Um, and I've never forgotten that feeling of peace because I know that, um, I don't fear death anymore. I, I know when it comes, um, I welcome it. I embrace it. That is such a beautiful point, and it's so affirming for all of us to hear that it's one of the greatest fears that we all have is, yeah, that a dog will walk by while I'm doing my radio show. <laughs> I've been watching. I have a pit ball right next to yeah. me. Okay. <laughs> hey, Ty, will you help the dogs, please? Um the greatest fear we have is that we'll pass in some kind of an accident, we'll be in pain, we'll be frightened. And your account is so much like accounts that I hear from those across the veil when I do a reading in mediumship and they show me I wasn't afraid. I was out of my body. I was in my soul awareness and I didn't suffer. And I love that you're here, you didn't die, and you're here to tell all of us that that's what happened to you, too, at a moment when most of us are afraid we'll be panicking. And and sometimes that panic is more frightening than pain. The panic and the fear and the fear of suffering, like you mentioned, for me, it was, I think, what the reason that I decided, because it was really tempted to just stay there and, and let go, was my son. And, and I think that's what motivated me to, to, to try one last time. And of course, you know, he was just beside himself thinking I had drowned when they got me into the boat and they had rescued him too. He lost his glasses in the river and everything. And, um, I, I just, he was just tortured, poor thing. But yeah, I think it's that fear I read recently. Um, I wish I could remember where I read it, but that if you fear suffering, you're already suffering. That's exactly right. And that's what this show is about, to show people that that's wasted energy. Very human, very understandable, but mm-hmm. there's a different perspective we can take. So I wish you'd write some of that into a novel. Do you have a, another book in the works? I have a couple. This this last year has been really strange. Um, most of the writers I talk to, many of the writers I talk to, have all agreed that they thought, wow, we got all this time working from home, all this time off. We're going to get so much written. And the opposite happened. So Mm -hmm. many of us just felt stuck. Um, I I, I, I really don't have a good explanation for it. Somebody I'm sure does. But I am working on a couple of different um, novels. Well, I I 
I just suddenly got an insight as you said that. And it's like when, when Ty, my husband, goes off backpacking, I think, oh, I'm going to have all this time to do writing. It's going to be great. And then he's not here. And I, it's like the sunshine's gone out of my life. And it's like, I don't want to write. I don't feel like doing anything. And I sit around and I find a movie to watch instead of using this, this time. And I feel that, you know, the, the energy that hung over you and everybody, all of us during the pandemic, it's just like we weren't aligned with our true nature. We were focused on the drama. And you spoke earlier of being in the flow when you wrote this I know and so to get in that flow what do you think we first have to align I do and I have to stop making excuses like um everything I I'm a perfectionist so it's always well I have to have a free a whole free day no interruptions and I I, I set up all these roadblocks to my own writing and I know that it's it's self-sabotage and, and I so, think everybody listening can identify with that. <laughs> don't, don't beat yourself up <laughs> it, it's always just about getting your butt in the chair and even when you don't feel particularly inspired um you know Annie Lamott would always you know just say you know just just write that just write doesn't matter if it's any good just write and the good's going to come eventually. That faucet's going to open and the good stuff's going to come up to the surface. Well, you have definitely let the good stuff come to the surface. Your other <laughs> book, Clover Blue, I'm just uh, partly through that, but I look forward to that because it's just you have a style that's uniquely yours and it's beautiful. And I hope that everybody listening <laughs> will run out and at least read this, I know, because it's, it's such a beautiful message. Do you feel sad when you finish a book? Like we feel sad when we had to say goodbye to Grace at the end of the book? Um, sad a little bit. I miss the characters very much when once I, I finish a book, but it's it's usually the excitement of, of starting something new. Mm-hmm. Um it's like when you're in a relationship and it ends. And when you're when I was younger, you know, and you get devastated when a relationship ended and you're like, I'm never going to date again. And da, 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 da. And then all of a sudden, you know, however many months or years later and, and you forget because you have this new thing. And, I'm, and maybe not so much, you know, at, at the age that I am now. But I think with the books, it's the, kind of the same thing when you when you finish it. There's this sense of relief and accomplishment and excitement um, to start the next one that other that new story that starts just kind of tickling at your soul saying um i got i got some stuff i want to say get out your computer (laughs) (laughs) well you've said it so beautifully and let's see i hope that somebody walking through an airport will find your book but we can find your books uh on amazon and all the normal places right i always um you know my first I always appreciate when people shop at their local bookstores, so support their local bookstores. But, yes, it is available on all the online online outlets. And if you go to my uh, website, aldonaedwards.com, there's links to all of those. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being with us. It was just a joy talking with you. So true for me as well, Suzanne. Thank you so much for picking up the book, reading it, and sharing it with others. I have so enjoyed chatting with you and your listeners all right everybody we'll see you back here next week thank you for listening this is unity online radio the voice of an awakening world
Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.